Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello, and welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. Wow, that lag was pretty strong, wasn't it? It wasn't a lag. Ranger was making noise moving <laughs> on the bed, so I was waiting for him to stop. Oh, for those listening, we were recording our intro, and Jared just stared at me for a cool three seconds, which I'm sure he will edit out, but absolutely, it was, it was nice eye contact, so thanks. It was a deep stare at Ranger in my camera, <laughs> waiting for him to stop stretching. He was, like, flexing his toes and moving the blanket, and it was just making too much noise. Oh, he was having a good stretch. Happy for you, Ranger. Yeah, it's a little rainy here right now. It's cold, mm. it's chilly, it's rainy, so it's a little bit darker. It's also the time when Ranger and I usually take a nap because we are nap people. Okay. We take a nap every single day, so he's right. getting a head start while we do this. Got it. Well, we'll try to to be concise. You can get to your nap. I but can't still promise thorough. that. Okay, so we'll just be thorough and then you won't okay. nap. Sorry. <laughs> so, Jared, I have a question for you. Wow, okay. Where do you... I know. Where do you normally grocery shop? Oh, this is going to be controversial, isn't it? Maybe. I just have, I want to know your thoughts on different grocery stores. And we have different chains because we're in we different do. states. The The fact of the matter is that, okay. is that the area of Los Angeles that I live in, I would say is not the nicest. Okay. And because of fucked up politics and, you know, what chains go to what areas i don't have a lot of options where okay i'm in so i do all of my grocery shopping exclusively at target which oh do you which is not a, a grocery store it's not it's it's the option that is probably the best for my needs interesting see i love i actually think target grocery has a lot of really great options it is just a, it is slightly out of my price range yeah, um it's... sometimes because their options are like a lot of brand names mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like i don't know if they i think they have target brand stuff but i think they also carry a lot of like brand name things yeah it's like almost but target does have a lot of name. yeah um so thanks capitalism for jared yeah. having to shop at a big box store right and i could i could travel like 15 20 minutes to go to another grocery store but realistically this target's like a few blocks away from my apartment it's quick it's easy like i can just hop over to target grab everything i need while i'm there and then come home it's the best option yeah what about you so well my next i have a follow-up sorry okay no please do you have Trader Joe's in California? We do. Trader Joe's was started in California. Oh, I had no idea. Okay. Well, do you ever shop there? Did you ever shop there in New Jersey? Yeah, I used to. So in the last apartment that I was in, Trader Joe's was my go-to and it made okay. it so easy. Everything was pre pre-prepared everything was mm-hmm. just there they had the great options all of the microwavable all the frozen mm-hmm. the sandwiches salads like everything Ugh, trader joe's is not sponsoring this i love trader joe's though it's expensive well though. trader joe's trader joe's might not want to sponsor this because 
I what this was leading me to is that I do love Trader Joe's food. I think mm-hmm. they have fantabulous tasting items. Agreed. I think they don't have brand names, so they can be a little bit cheaper, but like oh. they have all those pre-prepared items, so it's more expensive. I feel a butt coming. But for the love of God, I have never been into a Trader Joe's where either the parking lot or the aisles have ever been clear for movement, clear for takeoff. <laughs> Okay. Never agreed. Once. Agreed. The aisles are so small, and for what? So small. And for, for what? what? And there's no and and the way that it structures like a normal grocery store. You know, they say like shop on the outer sections, and then you have mm-hmm. the aisles in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like the layout makes sense. Trader Joe's goes on like a fucking diagonal. Yeah, so it you does can't, not. The angles are off. Yeah. And it doesn't work. And I have kept this bottled up for a really long time. No, and I've out. now moved. I've moved away from a close Trader Joe's, so I won't be shopping there anymore. But like Trader Joe's, if there's one thing I will say, your positive employees and your mini chocolate chip cookies do not make up for your stupid Mm -hmm. aisle configuration. Mm -hmm. No, especially because you like walk in, there's like the fruit bins, the like wooden in the middle of the aisle. So people are trying to- The crates in the middle. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It does not work. No. And And also, the same applies to parking lots. Both Trader Joe's and Whole Foods parking lots, I have never been in one of them that people... I don't know if it's like wealthier people don't know how to drive, maybe. Maybe, probably. I have never been in to one of those stores where the parking lots are like functioning properly where I'm not like waiting 10 minutes for a spot or like people are not driving insanely just like inside or that it is a free parking lot almost all of the Trader Joe's or Whole Foods I go to are parking garages that you have to pay for so there is absolutely like a classist element of you have to be able to afford the parking lot you have to be able to afford the food everything's so expensive it's like wow. there is and that's why they're not in my area like i have to travel to the like gentrified nice area by me yeah. in order to get to a trader joe's or to get to a nicer grocery store so that's why i just resort to target yeah so you know what let's try to end food deserts i think we should right. switch our podcast now to being just solely about food deserts well, and listen, making sure we have accessible groceries for everyone <laughs> it's a new year it's a new us who says we can't change our podcast right in the middle a, a full calendar year into our podcast right. who's even listening for historically really good friends they're listening for historically modern food deserts that's it historically modern groceries in america that's yep. it Yep, yep, yep. Um, we love juxtaposition. <laughs> we love ending stigmas. Right. That's what Perfect. we're about. We'll here. just talk about the history of capitalism and how it has now influenced the top ten most mm-hmm. popular grocery chains in the U.S. And there goes all of our listeners. All everyone of our listeners. has just clicked out of it, out of this episode. Nobody's listening right. anymore. We are so sorry. Tell us what we can do to win you back. Please come back. We have a story for you today, I promise. We do have a story for you. Do we want to get into it or or do we have more questions about grocery stores? That was kind of my only question about grocery stores. So thank you for humoring me on that. I I just really wanted to talk about my beefs with Trader Joe's. Multiple beefs. Okay. Multiple beefs. And I got them all out. So thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Great. Well, 
it's a new year. It's we're it's we're starting fresh, right? Okay. People, we're back to square one. We're back to the first day of the first month. I mean, we're a few weeks in now. Doesn't matter. But <laughs> the, the point of this is we're starting at firsts, right? We're refreshing. Mm-hmm. We're 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 at a, be- a new beginning. New beginning. New beginning. So I want to take that concept and transition into my story. But before I do that, I do mm-hmm. want to say that this episode 1000% should not be listened to on a speaker in a public place. <laughs> this episode will contain words and concepts that are adult and maybe children shouldn't listen to. Um, just use probably caution. children i would say probably i don't absolutely. know what your story's about but i'm gonna say probably children not no maybe. absolutely children should not be listening to this okay this episode do, please don't play this in school if you're a, a history teacher you don't need to talk about this with children uh, are you playing our podcast history teachers Dang. Not this don't one, play no. this one though do not play don't this one this. no okay with that being said i'm i'm you know riffing a little bit to give you time to quickly close out or hit pause or put in headphones do something i just don't think children are you going to start right away with graphic content not with graphic content but there's a word in the first sentence that i'm that just shouldn't shouldn't be heard and you know what kids might not know what it is but you will but we don't want them asking questions no no, (laughs) but you will and that's a threat and (laughs) just save yourself the trouble so what I'm going to be talking to you about this week is something called the surprise of a night. And the surprise of a night, just to put it out there, is hardcore gay porn. It okay. is <laughs> just throwing it out there. So, okay, if I, if I can be blunt about this, we're going to talk about porn. Yeah. But historical okay. porn. So while Ooh. there's a lot of conversations that need to be had about the porn industry and all of its faults, mm. that's not the conversation we're going to be having today. Are we talking about book porn? No, not book porn. I mean, specifically, we're going to be talking about hardcore gay porn from nearly a century ago. So okay. the lens that we look at this topic through is going to be a bit different. But here we are, okay? Vintage gay porn in front of us, and it's time to press play. All right. So the sources that I used to look into this gay porn called The Surprise of a Night are Pleasure by Proxy, a multimedia essay by GVGK Tang for Flat Journal, GVGK Tang's thesis called The Surprise of a Night, Excavating Material Legacies Through Early Queer Film, the Surprise of a Night Wikipedia, and Stag Film Wikipedia. Those are the only sources. Okay. We'll get into why they're so little in, in just a bit. Okay. I have two questions before I get started. Sure. Well, one is a statement. Okay. First of all, this is a huge passion project for that one person. So thank you for your sources. Absolutely. Um, second of all, is it Knight K-N-I-G-H-T yes. or Knight N-I-G-H-T? K-N. Like a, a knight okay, in shining you. armor. Thank you. So, just to answer your question from before, it's a film. It is a visual medium, a moving picture, if you will. (laughs) Okay. A talkie? It's not. Not a talkie. Okay. 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 So, first, let's just talk about a brief history of porn or stag films, Mm -hmm. which The Surprise of a Night was. 
So a stag film is a type of pornographic film produced secretly in the first two-thirds of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Typically, stag films are somewhere around 12 minutes, silent, depict explicit and or graphic sexual behavior intended to appeal to men and only men, and they're made because of censorship laws. Mm-hmm. Now, when I really emphasize men and only men, these films are screened to all male audiences, usually in fraternities or similar locations, and the audience oh. interacts with the film by giving a, quote, raucous collective response to the film, exchanging sexual banter and achieving sexual arousal, end quote. Oh, just like all together. All at once. A big old sexual arousal for men watching these films and women essentially then wouldn't have access to these women no women are not allowed it is purely men Uh, women are often on screen in these stag films stag films are not exclusively homosexual they are actually mainly heterosexual right so women are on screen with a purely male audience okay got it great and so this is a large component uh, to the stag film experience that we don't necessarily have time to dive into, but this like voyeurism and this Mm -hmm. collective watching of the film. Now, these films first appear in the first decade of the 1900s in England, but stag films make their way to the U.S. by 1915. And by 1920, Le Ménage Moderne du Madame Butterfly is released, which is a stag film, portraying mm-hmm. the first hardcore homosexual acts in a stag film. Oh, wow. And this is 1920, you said? 1920, correct. Okay. However, the film only shows the male-male sex acts as deviant, used as mm-hmm. a form of punishment at one point, and emphasizes the heterosexuality of its characters, while placing itself kind of closer to like a bisexual label, Because the male-male sexual contact occurs while the men are having sex with the women characters. Okay. So it's not a great positive first depiction of queer sex on film. Let's just say that. Right. It's It's not the greatest. It's just the first. Right. Exactly. But then in the late 1920s, we, meaning people who are alive in the 1920s and old (laughs) enough to enjoy stag films, receive the surprise of a night. And I say the late 1920s because that's what our historically really good friend, Alfred Kinsey's Institute, estimates. Okay. Most of the surviving stag films have been archived by the Kinsey Institute, with most being in some sort of state of decay, having no copyright, no credit, or Mm -hmm. acknowledged authorship. So there's extremely limited knowledge on these films, and they haven't been preserved all that well, so they're they right. aren't easily accessible to just, like, anyone. Right. GVGK Tang explains in their article on the film, quote, sequestered away in the collections and low-quality digital copies are only made available to scholars by appointment. Surprises information-rich content belies its lack of accessibility, both physically and contextually, end mm-hmm. quote. So people aren't just watching this. Like, it's not just, like, out on the internet. You can't just, like, find no. it on wherever. No, and believe me, I tried. I okay, tried I was going to so say, hard. have you been a, have you, is this just all secondhand? A lot of it is. I've seen stills and gifs or gifs okay. of the GIFs, film. Okay, yeah, gifs, yeah. 
but there's there's no copy of the actual okay. film online so you have to go to the kinsey institute you have to specifically request to see it you have to watch okay. it in a certain way watch it there okay right, gotcha. as like part of research mm-hmm. moving along the stag film era then ends kind of in the 1960s due to sexual revolutions in the u.s combined with personal film cameras for kind of like making Mm -hmm. your own home films is what Mm -hmm. we'll call them so (laughs) anywho researchers have placed the surprise of a night in or around 1929 or 1930 and because of this time because of the strict censorship laws especially surrounding porn and sexuality in general there are no identifiable producer, performer, or other crew member credits. So we truly have no idea who made this. And on top of that, the film was acquired by an anonymous donor. So there are simply no leads to this film. We have oh. almost no well, info about it. Thanks to that donor, though, for like preserving. Right. Like realizing that this was important enough to preserve, I guess. Right. And then handing it over to an appropriate source. Right, right. We do, however, know that the creator went by the pseudonym Oscar Wilde without an E, as it appears on a title card within the first few moments of the film. I am obsessed with that. <laughs> so Sorry, I think that's so great for a 1929 porn producer's name. Yeah. Oscar Wilde, that, but W-I-L-D. That is creative genius right it was just like a tidbit that i was like i need to throw it in here i love it and so kind of like i was saying before not a talkie it's a totally silent film starring two male actors and one female actor in a non-sexual role have you ever seen that snl sketch um where emma stone is like jared what are you doing with our godson yes 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 (laughs) that's this woman that's pretty much this woman (laughs) she's she's emma stone in this snl skit in the 1920s okay (laughs) i was going to ask (laughs) yeah and and so now i want to describe to you what happens in this film because who would i be if i just brought this into your life and told you basically nothing and left you to wonder about its contents exactly because we don't have access to it so i could never know right so thanks you're welcome so if you want a more academic cinematic approach to the film's contents check out gvgk tang's article but for sake of time and clarity i'm going to read the poor man's wikipedia telling of the film okay (laughs) great so here it goes the film opens with an elegantly attired woman with short hair as she finishes dressing for a visitor as the lady completes her boudoir she lifts her skirts to reveal a thick patch of pubic hair At this point, an inner title reveals that the screenwriter is Oscar Wilde, clearly a pseudonym. The lady goes into the drawing room and offers her well-attired gentleman caller, her knight, a drink. He refuses it and she drinks the cocktail. They talk briefly and then engage in passionate kissing. Whenever the gentleman caller puts his hand on the lady's breasts or genitals, she pushes his hand away. Finally, she slaps him coyly. The lady then apologizes for her aggressiveness by fellatiating her partner. (laughs) Although, side note, just this is me talking, I'm not reading this. I don't believe from what I've seen that the knight's underwear ever comes off, nor do I think there's like explicit penetration. So although it's hardcore porn, we're not seeing like any, we're not seeing any like real explicit sexual acts. It's all like over the pants and like, you know up until this point or like the whole time the whole time okay okay thank you you're welcome 
Then, the lady lies face down on the sofa with her buttocks in the air. It is revealed that she has no underwear on, so we do see her ass. The gentleman caller then copulates the lady anally, although no penetration is actually shown. There it is. Mm. And after a minute or so, the gentleman withdraws and sits back on the sofa. The lady gyrates her buttocks in the air. (laughs) This induces him to mount her anally again. Both individuals reach orgasm, and the gentleman caller walks off camera. Okay, first of all, first of all, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. They did not. No, they didn't. But go ahead. Continue on. (laughs) Continue on. Okay. The lady stands and raises her skirts to reveal that she is really a he. The film's second and final intertitle announces, surprise, his penis is exposed. The man in drag then dances about briefly, making sure that his penis bobs up and down in the air. The gentleman caller re-enters the camera's view and helps the other man remove his skirt and most of his other clothing. The gentleman caller, now completely clothed again, dances briefly with the nude young man. And after a jump cut, the lady, quote-unquote, now Mm. dressed completely in business attire, walks back on screen, winks at the audience, and walks off screen. And that's the whole thing. I kind of love it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fancy. It's like, ooh. It's kitschy. It's like, ooh, well, it's a surprise, but it's not really. But it's not really. So that's what we're going to get into. Okay. So the time period following the film's release ushers in a brief period of gay hardcore pornography, or kind of what we can tell from sources that remain, but would end Mm -hmm. and not really resurface until hardcore gay porn would be legalized in the 1970s. Mm. And the original audience, however, is what's so fascinating to me, especially because the anonymous nature of this film creates such difficulties in assessing it. Right. So remember that stag films in general were created specifically for the purpose of all males seeing it. So a majority of stag films feature heterosexual couples and often, but not always, directors avoid showing penises. They are explicitly making it for the male viewing, for the male gaze. Okay. And in the 1976 book Dirty Movies by D. Loro and Gerald Brabkin, they speak about stag films and the viewing experiences as, quote, a platform for social bonding and camaraderie between males, end quote. Interesting. That's, that's very interesting to me. And not to say that that doesn't still happen or exist, but in the way that this is so secretive, yet like a social bonding mm-hmm. moment is mm-hmm. interesting to me. And that like the landscape of all of this has changed so much from right. this time to now. Right, especially the viewing experience as a group thing to now it's secret and individual and all these things. But I mean, we could even get into like what straight males, straight quote unquote males are doing at sleepovers or what like there's a whole. Well, right. And I was even going to say like pornography does feature penises now, like even for the male gaze. So like it's just all different. Like it's it's all different now. And like does it completely changed. Like, the social commentary has changed. Absolutely. And one, uh, I think her name was Lisa Williams or Linda Williams. She was a, a scholar that I was reading in one of the articles that she was saying this porn versus porn starting in the 1970s when it's legalized, the porn in the 70s mm-hmm. becomes problematized. It becomes problematic. It becomes mm-hmm. having this 
violent I mean, there's violence there, but it just becomes right. this like like socially so much more violent completely, which then changes society's interaction with it versus right. when it's first initially being viewed. That's so interesting. And so, like I was saying about camaraderie, mm-hmm. it's through this camaraderie, this interaction, that the individual men in the audiences have to flaunt their masculinity, have to prove to the others how masculine they are, almost in order to normalize their presence and, quote, escape the homosexual undertone of enjoying watching other men's penises, end quote. Right. So, like we're saying, it's like you have to prove how masculine you are and enjoying this event to to show that you're you're not gay i don't like right which is so weird you just don't have to do it then like if right. uh, but whatever it's social right, but it's a social fraternities bonding. man it's important right. i guess right. <laughs> and in the original definition of a stag film one of the attributes of the viewing experience was often achieving sexual arousal so all of these men are in a room together turned on just as bros like what do you do from there you just like hang out until you're relaxed and then leave it's like what is the point then that's what i was gonna say like what are we doing like what? I don't get that. What are you right. doing? You're just, it's the same thing as like a strip club dynamic, right? Like right. everybody's just right. hard together. Right. But watching a and woman and not doing anything. Right. Like it's what? It's not gay though, because women no. are there. <laughs> because we're all viewing one woman. We are all seeing the right. same one woman. Exactly. And like, it, it's all great. So it's, we don't have to talk about the other stuff then. No, we, let's ignore it. <laughs> And according to Professor Thomas Wog, a Canadian academic known for his work with cinema and eroticism, stag culture was an arena in which homosocial behavior, meaning same-sex, non-sexual behavior, so just like the behavior of male friends, reinforced mm-hmm. masculinity within men's sexual desires in American pop culture. This behavior is shaped by not only censorship, but also through shame and disavowal. So he's saying that these viewing experiences aren't just friends watching films together. Yes, these men don't have sexual interactions with each other. Maybe some do. But watching porn with your best friend probably has some queer undertones that you might be wanting to explore. Right, right. And I would say also it's like the masculinity aspect is probably like, if you're not into it, what does that say about you? as a straight man and so like there's so many different like pieces to proving it yeah it's a very complex situation absolutely Mm -hmm. now for the surprise of a night this audience is different because it will still be entirely men seeing it but there's this question of do they know what they're getting into do they know do they know they're going to see a stag film a purposefully sexual film featuring homosexual acts, not as a punishment or violent, but as the intended display of sexuality. Mm. Thomas Wogg believes so, confirming my statement that, quote, the revelation of the lady's penis is not a real surprise as audiences knew what sort of film they were getting, end quote. Okay. I, and that was kind of my question too, right? Of like, was anal sex 
anal heterosexual sex being depicted before this? Like, was there no indicators ahead of time that, like, this was not your average stag film? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that that was just, like, the norm. People were like, yeah, classic. And, but I don't know. Maybe right. it was, so like you're saying it wasn't a shock to people that this is what they were watching and everybody who knew it was cool with it. From what we it's it's hard. It's a tough subject because it's from what we know. It's from what has survived, which is very little. Right. So we are making a lot of assumptions right. based on what sort of films they were and who might okay. have been watching them. So there's no definite response. It seems that right. way. But there's right. no way that we can conclusively to say, like, yes, sure. of course. Especially because the the woman in this film, the drag queen, mm-hmm. this man dressed as a woman, is tucked in the beginning. Okay. So you don't see okay. the penis, it, his penis, in the beginning of the film. So it right. very well could be a woman. So is it a surprise? Is it, you know, it's like, what what was the level of expectation and knowledge going into this versus how much was it really a surprise which right is it coercive in some way or do people know so conversely there's an author named Mm -hmm. john robert berger who writes about the event of seeing the surprise that it's unclear whether an audience member knew of the drag queen's gender before watching the film therefore hiding the gender of the drag queen makes the whole spectacle quote-unquote faux homosexuality meaning that there's no way the men seeing this film could be gay because they thought they were going to see a standard heterosexual stag film however in my opinion if in the end of the film after the gender is revealed and the man winks at the camera and walks away it feels almost like the filmmaker is saying we can pretend you just watched a heterosexual stag film We can say you just watched a man and a woman, but we all know what you just witnessed and sat entirely through. And then there's a part of me that thinks, well, could this have all been a joke? Could this all have been part of demeaning women or, you know, some sort of demeaning queer people as seen in kind of modern day porn? But the fact is this is the first stag film to show consensual adults engaging in homosexual acts, even if the audience isn't fully aware, without it being a punishment or victimizing. And without the knight becoming mad or violent once he finds out the truth. It all makes me believe that this isn't all for laughs. This is not just, it feels more intentional than just being like a man dressed as a woman and he's going to pull one over on this other guy. Right. And like, maybe that was the, the vessel for which it had to have been made of like this coy sort of, is it a joke? Is it, but it's not right. Like maybe that was the only way it could have existed. Right. And also this whole idea that like, eventually no one knew, right? Like the first people who saw this, it's not like there was no way to communicate in 19. 25 or or 1929 right like i imagine people were having conversations about something like this especially especially if there was a social aspect to it right right Right. so i'm i'm really doubtful that no one anywhere knew what this was and again i also imagine that there could have been not knowing what the landscape of porn fully was then that there could have been hints Mm-hmm. before the reveal happened that this sure. maybe was not your classic not your typical stag film right especially because in heterosexual stag films 
and I, I don't have this in my script, so this is just me going based off what I remember reading, so it could be slightly wrong, but in heterosexual stag films made by male directors, the women become objects. They become objectified, right? right? They become this vessel of sexual acts. In this film, right. the main character is this woman who is dressing and getting ready and preparing and has a costume and is like there's detail, there's levels right. to the character rather than just being something that is about to have sex. Right, exactly. And you're not seeing any other visual representation of this being a woman. So right. again, that that seems like it would be the main event if this was a regular stag film made for heterosexual viewers right thomas wog also believes that the use of drag in the surprise of a night also distances the audience from the performers on screen Mm. because that's a drag queen on the screen and i am not a drag queen i can't relate which feels to me like that's saying like i saw the movie avatar but because i'm not a blue alien creature like i don't I don't relate to the messages about community and right over my head. You know, it's like that. It just doesn't sit right with me by being like, oh, these men in the audience are purely straight because they can't relate that this is a drag queen or they can't relate that this is a thing that's happening. Right. That that's also not how like arousal works. Like you don't have to relate. Like that's just all incorrect. But okay, good theory. Good try. Sure. And this could be the excuse that audience members use to distance themselves Mm -hmm. from the people they see on the screen. I'm not a drag queen. I would never do that. That's not me. But to me, it's like you're watching it. So how different are you really? And if we come back to that element of voyeurism, the men in the audience Mm -hmm. are watching this sexual event in which another man is, in a way, being a surrogate for them. They're not engaging in the queer sex, but they're watching a deeply intimate sexual event that they're staying and engaging with. Right, right. And I guess my question too is, and I don't know if you saw this in the research, were these types of fraternity events mandatory hazing events? Or was it like, let's go do this because we want to watch this? So there's nothing that explicitly states that in the research of stag film that I saw, stag films. But Mm -hmm. never once was it phrased in a, this is a hazing thing or this is because stag films mainly are heterosexual so it's a thing that these men are wanting to go to it's like they want to go see naked women they want to go see sex so it's a thing that is like a fun thing to go see it's desirable it's desirable exactly so this is not to go hang with your bros right so this the surprise of a night is not something that they're like um being forced to go to it it's something that would be desirable to go see right now GVGK Tang's exploration and analysis of the film offers a unique and needed viewing from a queer trans perspective. Seeing the characters as trans people, not a drag queen, but about a trans woman, it offers what GVGK calls a, quote, silent visual memoir created by, for, and about trans queer people. It offers an intimate glimpse into the lives of two trans queer people, even as characters in a dramatic role play. While likely created for public consumption, it does not seek a broad audience, nor does it seek to convince us of anything. The film exists in anonymity, much like its creators. Surprise allows trans queers to be ridiculous and unexceptional and find pleasure in each other's company. 
Maybe what's most surprising about surprise is the possibility of trans queer joy in an age of isolation, then and now, tangible in its intimacy, end quote. And so the point of all of this is seeing this film from a queer perspective, seeing this from a trans perspective, Mm -hmm. seeing this person as not simply a drag queen, as actually a trans woman. The point is made also that the breaking of the fourth wall in the surprise could hint toward this being a homemade film queer friends making this project together the way that the protagonist waves off the crew or the audience at the end as if they recognize kind of who's on the other side of the screen might show us that this is kind of like a diary this is a home film like this is we are living in secrecy but like this is who we are like this is this is our lives we exist And so all of this meaning, you know, and lending itself to the rest of the essay, that pornography was used by queer people, namely trans people, as a primary source, a diary of who Mm -hmm. they were. There's an aspect of inviting the audience to watch, inviting the audience to recognize their existence, namely in a time when the language and recognition of queer trans people was virtually non-existent. Mm -hmm. GVGK has a bunch more interesting points, both in their multimedia essay and thesis, so I would recommend taking a gander at either if you're interested in diving deeper. And while there's so much more that plays into this topic that I truly thought would just be like a nice, easy story to kick off the (laughs) new year with, such as, you know, patriarchy, whiteness, the male gaze, and objectifying women, um, voyeurism, the list just like goes on and on. I love being let in on knowing this is out there i love knowing Mm -hmm. that this existed and incredibly likely was inherently queer and meant for queer viewers is a reminder that queerness and sexuality are nothing new that it's existed and that there's proof of it yes there's difficulties in assessing the film because of a million lost factors and we're kind of looking at this topic through only information that survived and is accessible but we're able to extract queer meaning, queer life, and queer existence from it. So I think that's what really matters for our conversation. Yes, it's porn, but it's also so much more than that. And I'm just really, really glad it exists and is being kept somewhere Mm -hmm. safe. And so that's kind of the introduction to Stag Films and The Surprise of a Night. Well, thank you for putting that all together. That was really comprehensive, even though it included obviously so many different factors. And I am eager to read more about it because like you said I think this really is sort of a note in the diary of queer history like that's something that's really important that I've never heard of I think probably gets the meaning may get lost because we can say oh but we don't know this and we don't know that but I think it really was something made for and by you know, mm-hmm. queer performers or queer people that wanted to cement their identity. Right. And kind of like we were talking about in the Shakespeare episode, it's like, mm-hmm. because there's so much that we don't know about it, it's what can you extract from this? Yes, there's a lot right. that we can hypothesize about who made it and for what intent and what was the audience really like and, you know, what are all of these things, but it's what do you take from it? Can you see it from a queer trans perspective? Mm-hmm. Do you see it from just a queer perspective? Do you see it from neither of those and maybe why? Right. You know, it's like this opens so many more conversations and doors about this mm-hmm. piece of lost history 
that is here it still exists but in such a small limited space right and it means something different to everyone and that I think is what we can take away from it just like you were saying and that grateful that it definitely still exists and that researchers who are far smarter than either of us are able to extract those things right and that's I think that's the point is the fact that the research continues and it's not just porn at this point yes it's porn but it there's there's a lot more weight to it historically than maybe they ever intended it to have absolutely and if nothing else we have the porn and that's all that matters (laughs) (laughs) thanks for tuning in to episode 45 of historically really good friends where we talked about stag films This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes straight men getting hard with their friends a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. You can also download our podcast episodes if you want some offline listening. Mm. And to see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at historicallyreally, where you can also send your personal stories there or to our email at historically really good friends at gmail.com we hope to see you again next week goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>